Welcome to Doing CX Right, a podcast where we discuss how to differentiate brands by doing customer experience right. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, an author, award-winning keynote speaker, and mentor passionate to help you humanize business and improve experiences to achieve real results. On today's episode, you're going to hear Scott McCain, a Hall of Fame speaker, author of Iconic and other best-selling books, talk about what to do when great isn't good enough to grow your business. He explains how organizations and professionals can create distinction to attract and retain customers. You're going to learn actionable solutions to common problems that result in better experiences for your staff, customers, and your business overall. Please subscribe to Doing CX Right on your favorite podcast channel. Leave a review. It means a lot. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome, Scott McCain, to the Doing CX Right show. I appreciate it. It's so great to be with you, Stacey. I, you, you are... I almost made a bad word choice there because during time of pandemic, you shouldn't tell someone they have an infectious personality. I guess. <laughs> but, but you you are very engaging. How's that? So <laughs> I, I love the conversation. That <laughs> just almost came out. It didn't even occur to me until it almost came out of my mouth there. So you have a very engaging personality. I'm, I'm not going to say infectious about anything. So Yeah. Well, how about contagious? Yeah. Contagious could work too. I love it. Yes. It could work. It could work. Yes. So I'm so happy you're here because you have really produced amazing content in the way of books and social media conversations and speaking. So why don't you tell my audience who you are professionally? What do you do? Uh, I'm, I'm often tempted to say, well, there's a grand jury looking into that. But no, that would be a joke. <laughs> they're not, they're not really. Uh, uh, I, I, am, I just feel like the most fortunate guy on earth. I, I have the privilege of writing books and doing consulting and coaching and speaking, uh, training in the field of distinction. What does it take to stand out from your competition in this hyper-competitive marketplace? So that's really the focus of my research and my work. And naturally, extraordinary part of that is the customer experience. I mean, you, you can't tell me an organization that has reached the, the highest levels of distinction that, that doesn't provide what we call the ultimate customer experience. So a lot of my work involves the customer experience, but how to use that as a differentiating factor, whether we're talking about individual professionals or entire organizations. I love that. And we're going to dive deep into that. But before we do, what's your why? Why do you do what you do? Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up, I grew up in a very rural part of Indiana, uh, near Louisville, Kentucky, just on the you know, southern part of the state. And my folks owned the only grocery store in Crothersville, Indiana, my hometown. And I remember the day that the guy that owned the clothing store across the street came in to our store to tell my dad the reason they were clearing the field on the north end of town was to make way for the construction of a new supermarket. And I saw my dad's knees buckle and we were faced with competition that could always have a lower price, that could always have more stock, that could always, you know, have more resources to have a, a brighter, shinier, bigger store, all of, all of that. 
And I saw over a period of years, you know, fast forward, I'm in college, I'm calling home and dad tells me the supermarket announced they're closing and leaving town. Because what happened over a period of time was that people in our community sampled the competition, but they made the decision that it was better to pay a couple extra cents for a loaf of bread or a gallon of milk to get the ultimate customer experience. Mm -hmm. And it taught me in an early age, the importance of how you treat your customers and along with that, how you treat your employees so that everybody on your team is delivering that, not just the store owner. And it it really was a defining chapter for me in my life in that I, I had the privilege of learning in my little community uh, what it takes to deliver that customer experience and the results that you can achieve from that. And I thought if it can make that big of difference to my family and and therefore in my life, that's a message that I hope that I could help other businesses with, whether it's a solopreneur, you know, trying to make something work out of the back bedroom, or whether it's other clients I've had like Apple and BMW and Cisco and, and on and on. So uh, it, it, it works for every organization, regardless of the size, regardless of the mission. I couldn't agree more. People don't buy just on price alone. I mean, obviously there can't be a significant difference, but when relatively similar experience wins. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, look, I mean, it, it, it's, it's not like uh, I'm going to determine whether I'm going to buy a Volkswagen or a Lamborghini based on the customer experience. Right? I mean, and, 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 Stace, you said something I think is critically important because we we don't talk about that enough sometimes. Like the customer experience is the be all end all. Look, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I'm not going to go out and buy a Lamborghini. I might buy a Volkswagen, although I might also buy a Toyota. And so it's the difference in the experience that's going to determine on that playing field where I select. So at, at the end of the day, what we have to do is to provide an experience that is so compelling that it ensures repeat business from our current customers and that they would refer us to their friends and their colleagues. Earlier, you and I were talking about how we get a lot of solicitations, sales reps, and you said it's not about selling, it's about relating. Expand on that. I, I love those words. Well, I, I, I want to give due credit to a buddy of mine, Scott Stratton from Toronto, who, who wrote a book called Unselling. And the subtitle of the book is Stop Selling, Start Relating. There's a chapter in my book, Iconic, that I said that one of the five factors of getting to the iconic level of organizational performance is to, is to stop selling. By that, we don't mean that you don't need transactions because every business has to have that to survive. But we have entered a time where people are hawking their, their products and services to such a degree that, that it's a turnoff. I, I, I was joking with you before we went on. You know, I, I, I hit accept on somebody's LinkedIn invitation and said, go 1001, 1002, 1003, waiting on the sales pitch. And there's no connectivity there. Uh, if I don't know you, why do I believe your pitch? You haven't established trust. You, you haven't proven to me that that what you are bringing is worthy of my consideration. So what we need to do first is start helping and start relating and and stop this mindless. I, you know, I had somebody come up after a speech and we kind of got in a in a discussion 
And he said, sales is a numbers game. And I said, yeah, you're exactly right. The problem is you don't know all the numbers. You say, if I send out a thousand invitations and get 10 sales, those are all the numbers I need to know. The, the problem with that is that the, and there's, there's varying numbers, but the research agrees on the concept, not on the specific numbers, but most sales are made after the seventh or eighth or ninth contact. So the problem is you don't know how many people are turned off by your messaging and block you and never give you the opportunity for the second or third or fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh or eighth contact that, that will eventually turn into the sale by how you approach it. So don't say it's a numbers game when you don't know all the numbers. Mm. It's about connection. It's about experience. It, 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 it's about developing trust. All of those things that Stacy, you and I talk about and believe in, in terms of the customer experience, it, it, in the old days, people used to say service is the first step after the sale. No, it's not. It's how you make the sale today. It's, it's, it's how you connect today. And it's never been more important to deliver that customer experience than, and do it the right way, as you say. It's never been more important than it is right now. Yes. And I want to add to that. So what you talked about is getting the sale. But now you also have customers, some some companies have memberships or long-term opportunities to keep customers and they need to get, they need to keep a pulse on that relationship, meaning that they have to actually ask for feedback all along to gauge how is the relationship? Has the trust changed? What do you think about that? Oh, you're spot on. You're, you're absolutely spot on. And I, I I give the example of, of how managers lead their teams, and you can relate this to the employee experience as well. I know some companies, and thankfully they're moving away from this, that have a semi-annual review. So if, if one of their colleagues does something that they want to talk to them about, they write it down and wait six months before they bring it up. And the employee continues to make that same mistake over and over. I mean, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. We need constant ongoing feedback. As employees, we need it. As customers, we need to provide it. And they, and they need to be listening to it. I, I, I think that one of the major areas that prevents us from delivering what customers really want is we think we know what they want. So therefore, we don't ask them and then listen to them. And we are... We're a little too presumptive in thinking we know what will thrill our customers when we haven't taken the time to say to a customer, hey, what would thrill you? And then really listen for the answer. There's also, I've been told, I don't want to know because we know things are broken or there's pain points. We haven't fixed them yet. So I'm better off not asking. And I, I don't agree with that. You want to know. And you want to keep knowing. So to me, hiding from the truth is not a customer-centric kind of culture, even if there's problems. Oh, you're so right. And, you know, there's, there's another aspect to that as well, to piggyback on that. And that is, there's, there was research at, the, at Texas A&M University that said that many employees are afraid to bring these problems to their bosses because the boss will assume that they're a negative employee. Rather than saying, oh, great, I've got an employee who's helping us identify the problem so we can fix it. 
we have a culture where some managers are saying, oh, that's a negative employee. That's a problem person because they're bringing me negative information. I mean, to those managers, I want to say, grow up. You know, I mean, look, how do you fix a problem that you, that you haven't identified? And, and one of the things, it, it, it's one of the chapters in my book, uh, Iconic, and it was one of the real surprising things that came out of the research is that iconic organizations go negative. Now, that doesn't mean they're negative people. It doesn't mean they have a negative approach. It means they aren't afraid of the bad news. So many businesses, like if a customer has a problem, they'll do what it takes to make sure that customer is, is happy. So here's, here's $20 off your next dinner, or here's 5,000 miles in your frequent flyer account. But they don't drill deeply enough about what went wrong in the process so they can fix that so they don't continue to manufacture dissatisfied customers. And, and you're exactly right, Stacey. And to me, that's what we have to do is to be willing to go deeply enough into what's wrong and what the problems are so that we not only placate the customer, but we solve the problem that created that in the first place. I want to dig into the word iconic. Now, I used to work at Verizon and we'd be launching iconic devices, the iPhone, when there was a new droid launching, et cetera. Not every brand has in their minds that device, that iconic product. But yet, every business can be and deliver an iconic experience. So help listeners understand what does iconic mean and, and how do you relate that when you're not that big, famous brand? You bet. And, and I, I, in the book, I try to use some examples. When I, when I first started writing the book, one of my little rules, and I didn't, I didn't achieve it 100%, but one of my little rules is I'm not going to mention Apple or Southwest Airlines or Amazon or Nordstrom or all the ones we talk about all the time. So I, I, I almost made it, not quite. But to me, there are four levels, Stacey. Level number one is sameness. And that's where the customer can't tell any difference from you and your competition other than the price that you charge. And I think that's the single worst place to be in business. The next level up would be differentiation. And I hear people say, oh, you got to be different. Well, if I slap every customer in the face, <laughs> I'm different. But, <laughs> but it does mean they're going to come back and buy from me or they, that, that they want to repeat the experience, right? So I see some companies that say, oh, we're differentiated, but it's not at a level that has traction and meaning for the customer. And that's all that counts. So then the next level up is distinction. And distinction is, if, if I'm thinking about buying in your industry, then, then you're the go-to. You're, you're, you're the obvious choice. That's a really hard place to get to because it means there's something about you that's not only unique, but it's so compelling that it becomes attractive to customers. Notice at the bottom two level, those organizations all the time are pursuing customers. Once you get to the level of distinction, now you're attracting customers. They know who you are. Your flag is in the ground. They're aware in your industry of, of who they are. Then you get to the iconic level. And the iconic level is you're so great, you not only stand out in your industry, you become an example for organizations in all industries to emulate. Or in your, uh, one of the examples that I use in the book, there's a, there's a steakhouse in Indianapolis, St. Elmo's Steakhouse. 
they have higher gross revenue than Tavern on the Green in New York City. There are 11 other steakhouses in the area, and, and they wipe them all off the map. So that would be distinction, right? We're the go-to steakhouse in Indianapolis. However, they have grown their business to the point that the, the Rolling Stones adjusted their tour a few years back so they could play two nights in Indianapolis, of all places, so they could eat twice at St. Elmo's. When the Rolling Stones are changing their tour schedule to be wow. your customer, you are iconic. Every business in, Indiana, in, in Indianapolis in particular says, how can we make our business attract customers the way that St. Elmo's does? Okay, it's not about being the best restaurant. It's about how do we do what they do to become so attractive? When you've reached that level, now you're iconic. So. If you're at the level of sameness right now, you're not going to leap up and become iconic overnight. You think about what can we do that makes a difference? How does that difference make us stand out because it has so much traction and is so compelling to customers? And then how do we execute that so consistently and so remarkably that now we become a standard by which all businesses are judged? When you reach that level and you can't do it without, I mean, we own the trademark on the term ultimate customer experience. You can't reach the iconic level unless people are amazed by the experience that you provide your customers. You, you have to, as to, to take your line, Stacey, I mean, it has to be done right. And if it's not, then you, you're not distinctive, much less iconic. That steak restaurant, what do you feel is their secret sauce? No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> the magic is in the mix. Uh, it's funny you say secret sauce because they have a very, very unique shrimp cocktail sauce. Now, you know, when you think of shrimp cocktail, Indianapolis probably is not the first city that, that comes to mind. They have a shrimp cocktail sauce that tastes like no other in the world. But here's one of the other things, and, and it's a great lesson about the employee experience. Many restaurants look at a server it's kind of a temporary job. I mean, the classic is in, you know, the New York area or in Los Angeles where someone says, I'm an actor. And your response is really what restaurant? You know, it's, it's, it's a, a way to, uh, it's, it's a bridge job. It's a gap job, right? St. Elmo's wants you to look at it as a career. So every, every server has a business card. Every server then develops a client list that they stay in touch with to come back and dine and ask for me when you come back. They have an awards banquet every year at St. Elmo's and every server gets a bottle of wine, the vintage of which was the year you started with St. Elmo's. And one of the most expensive things that St. Elmo's does in their entire budget is giving wine to servers that have been there 30 years because they continue to work they continue to grow the client list and they treat them, they, they treat it like a career and one with advancement, not just transactional. And, and I think that's part of, see, there's part of being iconic. What business couldn't learn from treating your employees that way? What an excellent example and so real that anybody can apply it. It's, it's doing the basics right and being creative, like you said, and we know that when employees feel appreciated, valued, included, the customer sees it and feels it too. And the Rolling Stones end up there on detour. 
Yeah, you can't believe it. in Indianapolis, you can't believe you go in the restaurant and there you see a picture, you're standing by a booth and above the picture of that booth is Cher uh, uh, having a steak with John Bon Jovi. And you think, now how does this happen? And then, but it, 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 is, it is the place that people go to and, and it has a, 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 a national reputation. So to, to your earlier point, Stacy, I, I mean, don't think that you can't do this, regardless of what business you're in. Because if a, there's, a, there's a lot of places to get steaks in Indianapolis, all the national chains, local restaurants, there's a lot of places. There's only one place that Cher takes John Bon Jovi. There's only one place. That's done. Every business can find a way to make this work for them. Amazing example. So let's talk about iconic leadership. What does great leadership look like? Because we know that fuels the customer experience. So what do you think is best practice for leaders who really want to have that customer-centric culture? First off, and I, I know that not everybody listening can make this happen, right? But first off, in organizations, when the CEO is the driving force of this, it has a much, much greater chance of happening throughout the organization. I'm, I'm doing a consulting project now with a company based in Nashville. And the CEO asked me, what's the most important thing I can do to make this project work? And I said, you're the one that has your hands on the wheel of the project, right? Because once the team knows that the CEO is invested in this, then it's much easier for everybody to get on board. When it becomes who we are, not just something we do, that difference is subtle, but yet it is so impactful. The second thing about leadership, I think, and, and, and this, this sounds so simplistic, but it, it's so critical, is for leaders to give respect before they demand it in return. <laughs> I, I, I see so many leaders who want to be treated like the CEO. They want to be treated like the leader. Don't you know who I am? That just doesn't work in today's world. We are a more diverse. We are a, a, a more, I'm, I'm searching for the right word, but we are a, 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 different, a different workforce. And if we don't treat people with the respect and understand the importance of diversity, I, I, I don't know how we make it in, in today's world with today's workforce. And, and I've, I've found that even if we don't get all of the terminology right, even if we bumble sometimes in the practice, when we're open and humble and sincere and offer that respect to others before we think we're going to get it in return, that leaders can go a long way with making great things happen with their team. Well said. Simon Sinek, one of my favorites, says leaders eat last. Do you agree with that? Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, it, it's, it's really interesting to me with leaders that I've observed in that the leaders who have the most respect do the little things right. And, and that's, that's where uh, what, what, what Simon says, I think, has, has so much importance. I mean, it's like, it, it, what, I'll give you an example of one of the little things. One of the most respected leaders I know eats in the cafeteria with everybody else and doesn't go to the executive boardroom to eat. And, and doesn't take lunch in his office. He eats in the cafeteria with everybody else. And anybody who wants to come up and talk to him can come up and talk to him. And, and somebody's like, oh, aren't you overwhelmed with, no, I'm not overwhelmed because 
The people that are overwhelmed are the executives that do it once a month to show off. Not that do it every day. And when they only got one shot at them once a month, then that's when they get overwhelmed because everybody has something they get need to say to them. If you do it every day, you know, it, it, it just works and you're just one of them. And I, it, it, I think it's not only that you eat last, I think it's that you eat with. And, and, and it's those types of things that make a, a significant difference in how today's leader is perceived. I love what you just said. Eater, e- eaters, <laughs> leaders <laughs> eat <laughs> with. And that is powerful. And I also want to say that for those listening and trying to figure out what could they do at work today, tomorrow, based on this. And my answer is customer experience and employee experience, based on Scott's examples, it's subtle. It's the subtle things and it's the basic things that you have to get right. And these are really good. And I also believe that as leaders, we do need to take care of our people. At the same time, someone's got to have our back too. It's only human. So we can give and give and give, but... The CEOs and the leaders of organizations also have to be mindful of your superstars who are elevating everybody else because we are human. Leaders are human too. So there is a balance. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think you're absolutely right. And, and I, I, I think that we are in a critical challenge and a critical aspect now with leadership. And the reason is when, when you look at how today's CEO was, for lack of a better term, trained, or let's say educated, it was typically that they went through the MBA process. And so they, they understand how to read a balance sheet and they know the PL statement backwards and forwards, and they can explain what EBITDA is and, and the share price and what it means. But that's not what we're judged on today. We're judged today on how we create connections for our employees. I, 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 one of the things I've preached about for a long time, Stacey, is I, I think the most undervalued and overlooked expense for any organization is employee retention. If, if an employee quits and picks up the company's computer and walks out the door, they call the police. But that employee can get up and walk out the door with connections with clients and relationships that have brought business to the company. And so many businesses just ignore that and think they're going to hire somebody else to replace them. And part of what we have to do in today's business is to value and to appreciate the importance of the employee experience because they're going to create the customer experience that drives the profitability of our business. I see too many leaders saying people are our greatest asset And then they turn around and treat their people like an expense. An expense is something that you try to reduce and that you manage. An asset is something you invest in and cultivate so it can grow. And when leaders understand that it might not be exactly the way that they were taught in their MBA work 20 years ago, but it's a different world today, more diverse, more engaged, more opportunity for people to go elsewhere, uh, the, the value of relationships, 
when leadership changes, organizations will change. We've seen some where it happens, more need to get on board. I agree. And you also can't just depend on human resource department. People often point to them and say, well, it's their job. No, no, no. Everybody's job is to take care of each other and the customer from back office to frontline. So your your points are really Absolutely. good. So last two questions, because this time went very fast. One's a personal question, one's a professional perspective. So I'll start with the professional. If I had a ton of CEOs and leaders in my room right now, what is the one thing you would want them to know or do? The, The one thing that I would want them to know and the thing I would want them to do is that your first job is the care and retention and education of your employees. That's job one. It's not managing the share price. It is not watching out for expenses. Not saying you don't do those. Those are important. But your primary job is the care, retention, and education of your employees because they are the ones that are going to provide care and ensure retention of your customers. And and that's the only place that provides profitability for your business. Bravo. Well said. And finally, if you could go back to your younger self, Scott, your 20-year-old self, what you know now that you didn't know then, what would you tell Scott? Hmm. 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 From a professional standpoint for my career, uh, the first thing, Stacey, that popped in my head is uh, write your book sooner. There is something about writing that... Not not only does it help your business and grow your business, but there is something about the discipline of putting it on the page that forces you to be more precise with your thinking and, and, and forces you to be more analytical in the process. So in other words, writing the book helped my, my first book. I've, I've got several out now, but writing that first book really helped me go from understanding the customer experience as, hey, be nice and, you know, treat people well and all that to developing a specific process. So so that's one of the things that I would say. The second thing, and I, I hope you'll give me two because it's, it's kind of one and one A. Uh, the, the second thing is uh, take time. Take time to appreciate. Don't be so ambitious that you miss the good stuff along the way. I'm I lost my first wife. We were married 25 years and I lost her to ovarian cancer. And one of the regrets, there, there's really only one. I mean, one of, one of the things is we got to say everything, right? So there's nothing that, that I wish, you know, we would have said. But um, we always wanted to go to Italy and we were always going to make time to do it. And then there was a time that we couldn't do it. And that is really the only regret that I have is that we didn't just say, let's block out two weeks and three weeks and go to Italy. Uh, but instead, there was always another speech to give or for her, there was always another you know, thing that she was doing with, with her work in intellectual property licensing. We wouldn't, we wouldn't remember that, but we would sure remember the time that we went to Italy. So I would tell myself, block out the time. You know, you're going to remember the experiences um, more than, oh, look at this extra you know, 
5,000 bucks we got in the bank. You, you can make more money, but you can't make more time. So that's kind of one and one A, one kind of a professional thing I'd tell myself and the other, the personal thing I'd tell myself. It's amazing wisdom. I love it. I'm capturing yours and many other people's answers to this question. And that's going to be part of a book. It's so important that we- Oh, great. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, we need to share this wisdom with the next generation and and ourselves and reminder of ourselves. And uh, the present is a present. So I'm enjoying the present with you. You are a present. And thank you for being on my show. Stacey, this has been a great privilege and pleasure. I appreciate it. I hope we can do it again sometime down the road. And I, I, I thank you very much for, for your time and hospitality here today. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple, it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacey Sherman, Doing CX Right.